As Canada slowly emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic, what people, tools, and processes will be needed to reshape and rebuild the new retail landscape? Find out this month during the Automotive News Canada Retail Forum Dealer Discussion Series. Hear from top retailers and industry executives as they share their insights and strategies for dealers to rebuild their businesses and meet the needs of today's consumers. There is no cost to view this virtual series, but registration is required. Register today at automotivenews.ca slash retailforum. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the August 21st, 2020 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, when will we finally see self-driving vehicles in mass production? And the answer is really anyone's guess. There are optimists and pessimists among us with differing timelines, but my guest today might have some of the best insight on the future of autonomous vehicles and when they might be commonplace. He's also an expert in electric vehicles, so we'll find out how the two are linked, what each segment means to one of the world's biggest auto suppliers, and we'll find out what about the future most excites my guest when we speak with Sharif Marakbi, the new Executive Vice President at Magna International, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Sharif, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. For having me. No problem. Your previous job was CEO of uh, Ford's subsidiary, Ford Autonomous Vehicles. It's no question a key position at Ford Motor Company. So I have to ask to start us off, why leave that position, Sharif? Yeah, no. So I've actually spent uh, quite a bit of time in the last few years on uh, in, in the space of technology and commercializing technology and had a wonderful uh, experience with both electrification and autonomy. And uh, the opportunity to join Magna uh, came up. And really, uh, the main factor for my decision is is being able to, to serve the entire industry. And Magna, uh, being a, a very large, actually the largest tier one supplier uh, of automotive in North America, uh, gives me the opportunity to serve uh, a lot of tra- transformational and the trends that are happening in the industry from a tier one and from a, from a large capable tier one supplier. So in announcing your hiring, Magna touted your experience in both autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles in their development. What's your focus going to be at Magna? Is it one or the other, or is it equal parts both in your new position? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I have uh, all of uh, R&D, corporate R&D, which would look at all the trends. So it's not one or another trend. It's all the trends. And uh, clearly, there's a lot of common trends in the industry, like electrification, and that's been going on for a while, and autonomy, uh, driver assistance, connectivity, and being able to connect the vehicle uh, remotely and what to do with all of that. So a lot of trends that are happening in the industry and that all of that will be my focus. How how much are the two tied together? Is autonomy, does it go hand in hand with electrification or are they completely separate? Because I, I assume we get to a point at some point in the future where electric cars drive themselves. Is that the ultimate goal? And, and how much do they work together right now as we sort of creep along this road? Yeah, they're, they're technically not tied together. Uh, 
although ultimately, as you said, long term, it makes a lot of sense to have electric vehicles that uh, are autonomous. There are, you know, several challenges with that in the in the short term, meaning uh, technical challenges. And uh, obviously, electric vehicles require charging. Electric vehicles are are uh, you could argue, you know, well to wheel. Uh, could be cleaner and better, and there's a lot of regulations going around the world uh, where naturally autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles will come together. In the meantime, the initial uh, deployment of autonomous vehicles are going to require a lot of energy from the vehicle, uh, lending themselves to maybe alternative solutions uh, until we get to electric vehicles and being able to have smaller energy consumption from autonomy. Uh, but overall, uh, that is the ultimate goal, is autonomy and electrification would, would go hand in hand, although they're not technically tied. Should we, you mentioned the words driver assist, should we be throwing a, around the word autonomous and autonomy right now because there are no level five fully autonomous vehicles does that send the wrong message that's been a debate a bit over the summer months here is that maybe these vehicles aren't truly autonomous should we sort of dial back our usage of that word or is it still appropriate given the the levels and stages we're at in terms of developing autonomous vehicles uh, no, you, you're absolutely right. I think uh, it, it's a very confusing subject. And the way, the best way I like to describe it is you've got to separate the two and not mix it up. So driver assistance uh, technically is level one to three uh, are where somebody is in the, in driving the vehicle, but the vehicle is assisting the driver uh, through their journey. And that is something very different than fully autonomous vehicle, like you said, level five. There are no level fives out there right now. So ultimately, that's the ultimate goal, but they're two different uh, applications. And when we remove the driver, when the driver is removed from the vehicle, it's a whole new ballgame. And the application is very different. Uh, you, what you need to do in a fully autonomous vehicle is different. And ultimately, we'll get to that. But What's actually accelerating in the market right now is you can get vehicles that you couldn't get even two or three years ago with a lot of technology around driver assistance. So how fast are we moving down that road to autonomy? Do you, do you feel, I mean, it's hard to put a number on it or, or quantitatively measure it, but how quickly are we moving toward full autonomy? Would, would I see it? I'm 44. Would I see it before I die? Would my kids be driving a, an autonomous vehicle? Do you have a sense of how soon that might arrive? Yeah, my, my view is that I, you're definitely going to see it. Uh, it's very difficult to project when because of many uh, m- many factors. Obviously, uh, COVID uh, is, is is also another a, a new a newer factor. But there are a lot of other factors that could uh, push out level four five a little bit. But the good news is a lot of the work that's happening around the technology, the sensing, the compute, the the applications of driver assistance will all help full autonomy. It's just a matter of time, and uh, we will see it in our lifetime. It, it may be you know, a, a, lo- a long time before we see it, but definitely the acceleration that we've seen, even in the last two, three years, 
of driver assistance is a, is a pretty good indication of how fast this industry is moving. And uh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you have unregulated features, meaning that regulation is not necessarily what's driving it, that's going quadruple in two, three years, which is incredible. You mentioned uh, COVID-19, and I wanted to actually discuss that. What will the pandemic do to research and development in both autonomous vehicles and the electrification of vehicles? Uh, Well, I think there's going to be a short-term impact. I mean, you already see, for example, uh, the slowing down of shared mobility and more individual mobility. Uh, And I'm not just necessarily even talking about cars. I mean, you could talk about scooters in that case. And there's definitely a a more short-term reaction to COVID, meaning I want to be in my own thing, a car or scooter or whatever. And uh, But we don't think the long-term impact is going to be big, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there, there's probably going to continue to have uh, a very large growth in, in personal mobility and also in driver assistance, and a bit slower in the full deployment of shared mobility for level four, and then obviously personal mobility in level five. But electrification is another area that are more impacted by maybe gas prices, uh, through COVID, which we've seen a slowdown of gas prices, meaning the lower gas prices. But we see the trend continuing in the long term, both in electrification and in autonomy. Which of the, I have to ask, which of those fields um, has the bigger potential for, for Magna? Is it autonomous vehicle development or is it electrification uh, that sort of gives Magna uh, more potential and, and more earnings in the long run. You know, this is a really intriguing subject because the, one of the benefits uh, and the strengths of Magna that I, I do like is the, the diversity of technologies done by the different groups within Magna. So you have uh, areas within Magna that, uh, that focus on powertrain and that's where electrification would, would belong and electric uh, electronics. Uh, but you also have ADAS and AV that is more within uh, a different area in the company, uh, and that would be within electronics and driver assistance and, and, and things like that, uh, radars, LIDARs, cameras, you know, things like that. So I do feel that both of them are going to be important to Magna. They're just done in different groups. And a supplier this day and age can't really afford to not diversify can it? I mean, it almost is like the sort of development of cell phones where we saw BlackBerry was the dominant player, but was but didn't sort of evolve fast enough and it allowed other players in. How important is it for a traditionally automotive supply company to sort of morph into a technological and software company as well? It's very important. And, uh, and I, I can't emphasize enough that that was one of the key things I, I, I've seen in Magna, the diversity of, of uh, the different groups and being able to get into electronics and get into powertrain and get into connectivity and get into a lot of different trends that are happening. Because the trends are the trends. They're happening to everybody. And the consumer is demanding those trends to materialize and actually gain some features and benefits from those. 
And a, a company like Magna has the, the strength to get into pretty much all of the trends that are happening. I mean, I could list, you know, we talked about ADAS, we talked about autonomy, we talk about mobility, we talk about electrification, we talk about connectivity. They're all trends. And if you're only focused on one, uh, to your point, you can miss the boat. You've been a key figure at a major automaker. You're at a tier one supplier now. How has the relationship between the automaker and the supplier changed over the years, especially when it comes to that software and technology we're talking about? How much of that work are automakers now getting the suppliers to do? Yeah, well, it, it depends. Uh, so if you look at different regions in the world, it's also different because of the environment and the regulatory environment that's happening. But overall, uh, OEMs uh, use more and more of the supply base, and it could be in components or it could be in systems, and that's different in different regions of the world. So, for example, uh, Magna provides and continues to provide systems uh, to automakers, uh, but in some regions or some specific OEMs, it could be providing components because the OEM prefers to do the system themselves. And what I mean by system is I mean by, uh, things like um, a full drive system in electrification, for example, uh, that includes hardware and software. I think the trend, as you mentioned, around more software and less hardware is happening around the globe. And it's actually not necessarily less hardware, it's just more software more controls, more software to uh, run things in vehicle. And the UX uh, trend as well, meaning the consumer experience of that software is very important. So some OEMs are, uh, you know, utilizing the tier one suppliers to do systems. Some are using components and Magna's breadth of going from components to systems, uh, I, I view as an advantage. You briefly mentioned regulations. I'm, I'm curious, what exactly does the North American region have to do to, to regulate autonomous vehicle development or definitions or rules of the road? Because right now you have the USA doing its thing and, and its government working on its rules and even state by state it changes. And in Canada, we have the federal government and provinces sort of mandating their own rules and regulations for the road and and what constitutes autonomy and and those kind of things what needs to be done collectively either in north america or even globally to regulate what eventually is autonomous vehicles yeah well there's definitely a very different uh, regulatory framework globally so if we just focus on north america for example uh, North America has actually advanced uh, fairly well in allowing testing of autonomous vehicles on the roads and uh, having a, a safe way to, to, to be testing and developing autonomous vehicles. Uh, the technology is happening across the globe and the tier ones and the OEMs are all developing technologies to do that, whether it's hardware or software. Uh, the one area I think that... Uh, to answer your question that we can do more or better is uh, in regulating the transition between personal mobility and shared mobility, which I know is going to take a long time for that to happen. But 
for example, today's vehicles are regulated to uh, around the driver. Uh, everything, whether it's safety or uh, or or even even in emissions and everything in the vehicle, is is has been done over a hundred years uh, because of the driver and the passenger in the front. And when you look at an autonomous vehicle, uh, there is no driver. The, the ultimate autonomous vehicle, like level five. Uh, so there needs to be a different mindset of what is required in vehicles, and that's really at the federal or the the, the central uh, government uh, requirements. And several, you know, whether it's automakers or tier ones, are are have ideas of what needs to change. It's just going to take time, and I think that's where it will enable more shared mobility and autonomous vehicles in the future versus what we have today. So how difficult is it to change that mindset and that view of regulations? If it's always been about the driver and we're talking about politicians and lawmakers who aren't um, engineers and CEOs and executives such as yourself, that must be a difficult thing to wrap your head around to come up with regulations based on the autonomous vehicle rather than the driver behind the wheel. How difficult a transition will that be? Well, it, it is difficult, and uh, we, as as the automotive industry, have a, a big role to play with the regulators. Meaning, we need to spend time to share why we believe it should be different. Uh, what are the specifics of the regulatory uh, framework that we need to change? And we have a we have a piece in that. We have to do our part. Uh, but as I always uh, think that technically. Uh, a lot of things are possible. Mindset just takes time. Very good point. And I'm going to stick with time and ask you this. How long before we see mass market uh, equivalently priced electric vehicles uh, in Canada and America for that, that matter? Right now, EVs are a bit more expensive and they're sort of offset with subsidies by state and federal governments and provincial governments. How far away are we from the traditional ICE and now the EVs being priced at a at a similar price point? I think that's a really good question. Uh, I, I'm, I know that it's easy to think about a specific date or year, and I'm I'm not going to attempt to do that. But I will. What I will share <laughs> is um, the the we're doing all the right things, and the governments are doing the right things to incentivize the the growth of the technology. We as an automotive industry have to also do the right thing and think about it from a consumer standpoint because there are actual uh, benefits of driving an electric vehicle versus uh, uh, an ICE vehicle. You have instant torque, instant acceleration. You can work on the electronics and the HMI and how the interface to the vehicle from a, from a, a driver uh, can be better in an electric vehicle than, a, than in a non-electric vehicle. Uh, the other element that has been happening, and it's been probably 15 years since I've been working on electric vehicles, and the funny story is actually one of the first projects I've spent time on electric is the uh, collaboration between Ford and Magna, which was the Focus Electric and that that project, uh, we learned a lot from that, and the whole industry is learning a lot from electric vehicles. And the next generation of electric vehicles are going to be better. Uh, but also, the cost 
has been coming down, especially around the battery technology and uh, motors, inverters, all the key technologies that go into an electric vehicle, the cost has been coming down a lot that I do believe there will be a point in the future where there's going to be cost parity. Uh, but the industry does need the incentives and what's happening right now so that the consumer can experience it and can experience the fun you can have in an electric vehicle. But it's going to be years before we see the, you know, the cost parity. But I will, I'm very optimistic that the trend is happening around the cost coming down. Let's end on this uh, sort of a personal question. I'm curious, what most invigorates you about your job? What, what is most appealing or gets you most excited about your job and the future of, of these two segments, EVs and AVs? What's most exciting to me is figuring out the future that nobody has figured out yet. And doing something the first time is always difficult. Uh, but you learn from it, you continue to improve. And I, as I mentioned, I worked on electric vehicles 15 years ago and hybrids and plug-in hybrids. And uh, the whole mindset was very difficult. It, it is so much easier now to talk to people about electric vehicles than it was 15 years ago. And the same thing is happening with autonomous vehicles. And I love that, that feeling. I love that environment of, of things aren't defined for you and you have to figure it out and help move and transition the industry to a different level. Excellent. I appreciate your time. Uh, terrific conversation. Much appreciated. Thanks, Sharif. Thank you, Greg. We reached Sharif in his home office in Michigan. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion or simply want to comment, Email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you join us next time. So long, everybody.